0: Will set you free.
1: Headline Edition, July 8th, 1947. The Army Air Force has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. They we were too fast to be an airplane.
0: Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of The Veritas Show, where you listen because you don't want to believe, you listen because you want to know. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for tuning in once again. This is episode number 17. Tonight's special guest is Bob Emenegger, the UFO landing at Holloman Air Force Base. Department of Defense now accepts UFOs as a reality. If you have never heard this story, it is potentially the biggest UFO story of all time. I would like to remind you that all our past shows are available to you 24-7 by simply going to our website, veritashow.com. Veritas is a listener-sponsored program, and we welcome your voluntary listener contributions. So no matter where around the world you're listening from, be it at our website or at any of our affiliates, Or even on your iPod. Please take a moment the next time you're on the web. We make it very easy, and have a secure PayPal donation button on our homepage, VeritasShow.com. Thank you for keeping Veritas alive. No contribution is too small. Veritas is available on Fridays on our website and through the following affiliates: K-Rocks Zero Point Radio, the Black Vault Radio Network, and the Paranormal Radio Network (UPRN). 105.8 fm new orleans and more affiliates are coming soon listen to the veritas show on itunes and rss feeds throughout cyberspace by the way if you listen to veritas via itunes please rate us that way more people will have the chance to uh, get exposure to our show we are heard in 114 countries if you need to get in touch with me or send questions to our future guests send an email to mail at or just head to our website and click on the contact button. A few announcements. The Veritas video contest is ending April the 30th. So hurry up and send your video. For instructions, just visit veritashow.com and click on the video link portion of our website. The poll will be conducted at our forum which by the way continues to grow, especially now that only registered users can read and participate. There's a lot of activity taking place and some of the topics are really, really hot. There are many ways to interact and be up to date with Veritas. The Manticore forum, which you can reach by going to our homepage and clicking on forum or simply going to manticore.com or by joining the Veritas show group on Facebook, which continues to grow as well. Let me share with you our upcoming guests in order of appearance. David Sarita, Differentials, Zero-Point Energy, and the Hidden Harmonic Codes of the Universe. Paula Harris, UFOs, Ancient Mysteries, and Beyond. Catherine Austin Fitz, Black Budget, the Federal Reserve, the War on Drugs, Missing Trillions, and What Really Happened to the Economy. James Fox, creator of the movie Out of the Blue will discuss his new film, I Know What I Saw. And Dr. Fred Bell, NASA rocket scientist, inventor, and healer. For the dates of these shows, just go to our website, VeritasShow.com. And now to some news. China... Amazing Cold War UFO secrets released by government media The universe is big now you have to see this picture otherwise. It's not going to make it justice How big is the universe? That's a question. Well according to this image that we have on our blog Then we are very very small and the universe is in reality Incomprehensible you have to look at this picture if you see our sun, that looks smaller than a pinprick and imagine how other celestial objects can be gigantic in comparison to it. Historic disclosure, Brazil's secret government, UFO files revealed. And it seems that many countries, Italy, France, the UK, Brazil, keep the pattern of releasing what's happening in the United States. Soon we'll have Nick Pope on a full show, and I hope he can answer that question. And finally, hot from the press, before I went into production tonight, Norio Hayakawa emailed me a story called Dulce New Mexico Bio Warfare and Project Blue Beam. And he knows that I love to discuss Project Blue Beam because there's not a lot of people that believe that that is in actuality something that's real. So he sent a report as a conclusion to his, I believe, his last Dulce conference. So if you want to take a look at our blog, you'll find more information on the headlines that I just read. And now, Get ready. Does the government have film footage of a UFO landing at Holloman Air Force Base? Did non-human entities exit the disk and communicate with the base commander? What was so different about the appearance of these aliens as compared to those we hear about today? If you want to know the answers to these and more questions, don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. (laughs) Come <laughs> on. Welcome back to the Veritas Show. This is Mel Fabregas. What you're about to hear is an excerpt from Grant Cameron's interview in which he goes on the record to express that Bob Ammenegger's story is potentially the biggest UFO story of all time. That was the compelling reason that convinced me to share his story with all of you tonight. But well, let's let Grant Cameron say it one more time.
1: Robert Emmenegger's story, I think, is one of the best... It is potentially the best UFO story ever, uh, given all sorts of access to uh, top-secret film and uh, people and clean rooms and uh, the Hallman Air Force Base story and all that kind of stuff. He did know Bob Haldeman, who was chief of staff for Nixon, and he also knew uh, Hershinson. Hershinson was public uh, relations and public affairs for... Uh, Richard Nixon, and he was in contact with Bob Amenager almost on a daily basis while they were producing UFOs, Past, Present, and Future, which is this documentary in 1975, 1974 they put it out, uh, that Amenager and Alan Sandler put out, and they were he was in, almost in daily contact as to how the, the documentary was coming out, and so I asked Bob Amenager, I said, did Nixon, was Nixon behind this? Can't say, say for sure. Hershenson was in contact, and he asked Bob Haldeman, he said uh, this, this famous story about the, they had the film in their possession that where the alien lands at Holloman Air Force Base. The aliens get out, the generals greet them, they walk down the tarmac right. to Mars, and they, all this sort of stuff. And uh, this is all on film, and that Emanager and Sandler had the film, and that the last minute the film was pulled back to the Pentagon by, by Coleman, and that they put about seven seconds of the film. They've confirmed there's seven seconds of the actual film in the documentary. So you get these these contacts where they're being leaked this material, and at the last minute the docu- the, the film is pulled. Same as 1956 when Disney is, is contacted, given all the material, and at the last minute they pull all the the uh, the footage that they're they're going to do. So the government does have that.
0: Mr. Egger is on our guest roster for this year, but after what you've said, I'm going to have to call him and get him sooner.
1: Oh, he is. I I'd say is potentially the best story. There is, because it, it, it involves it involves the White House, it involves, and, and I've confirmed, I've heard him tell the story, and I've, I've stayed at his place, and I see him every time I go to Ozark, he's at Ozark every year, and he, he couldn't care less what he was. he's very skeptical, all he believes is his story. And so he's, he's a very respectable type guy, and he basically, I've heard him tell the story 30 times, and he has never deviated from that story one iota. So Emenegger's em, got some incredible stories, and I've heard him tell them so many times, he telling all these stories and just fascinating in behind the scenes of a guy who really was a skeptic who, who couldn't believe went to the pentagon and was called to the pentagon and was saying you know i couldn't believe i was there like these people are all crazy like they're all talking about this. like this thing's for real I these people nuts he, he just didn't believe it and he, he couldn't believe it. there's coleman and colonels and pe- generals talking about this as if it was real and he thought that these people are all nuts i mean what, what are they talking about i don't believe this stuff
0: To the uh, worldwide audience and uh, to Mr. Emenegger, Uh, Mr. Cameron just gave you the biggest commercial for the upcoming interview that I hope to have with you. Robert Emenegger is a screenwriter and director for many documentaries, television specials, and feature films for TV syndication. He's a 1965 UCLA graduate in film and winner of numerous first-place awards and gold medals in domestic and foreign film festivals. He is the producer and director of ten original science fiction feature films and four two-hour documentaries for TV, Laboratory, Sci-Factor, Captive, and Time Warp. Other samples of Emenegger's work from Who's Who in Entertainment include The Day the Silence Came, Hypnosis, and Beyond, Is Everyone Happy But Me?, and Death, The Ultimate Mystery. He received a Golden Globe nomination for his film UFOs Past, Present, and Future. He directed live musicals starring Carl Burnett, music for a dozen pop single records on Capitol, Mercury, and other labels, album on ABC Music for TV series Lance Link, songs recorded by Kenny Rogers, Glenn Yarbrough, and others, score films and TV spots. And to the listener audience, to most of you, this will probably be the first time you will hear Bob Emenegger share his story. Ladies and gentlemen, what you are about to hear is not, I repeat, is not science fiction. Hello, Mr. Eminager, and welcome to the Veritas Show. How are you? Well, hello, and I'm glad to be here. It's my pleasure. Uh, Bob, I have to be very honest with you. I have heard pieces of the Holloman Air Force Base landing but nothing concrete. It's as if this story was left somewhat under the radar. It wasn't until Grant Cameron was on this show a few weeks ago that he started talking about you. He didn't get into the story, but he did say, we we had to have you. I extended an invitation on the air, and here you are. So I thank you once again for accepting. I also found out that many in the audience also don't know about the story. And in preparation for this show, you and I were discussing the title, of the show, and you came up with the UFO landing at Holloman Air Force Base. The Department of Defense now accepts UFOs as a reality. The latter yeah. portion of the story seems to carry some information we've never heard before, especially from the military. But before we proceed with the, the new revelations, Bob, I want to give those listeners who are not aware of this story, as I said, I was one of them, why don't we start where you feel it's more appropriate?
2: Sure. Well, I'll make it very brief. Uh, At the time that I got involved in this, I was the VP Creative Director of Gray Advertising out on the West Coast. And uh, somebody I knew, well, at that time also, I got a letter. I did get a letter from uh, Nixon uh, asking for uh, suggestions for people who would be good for his staff and good for the country. That was just because I... I think it was probably because of Bob Halderman who I knew and uh, who was, you know, working with Nixon at the time. So maybe it wasn't unusual that he would, they would send out letters like this. Uh, I think I sent a copy of it to to Grant so that he could sort of get that background that I never really talked about before. Anyway, um, I, was, uh, I was asked to be a part of the re-election committee. And I met with the, the staff out on the West Coast. And uh, be, be, I, I would say I'm just maybe jumping around a little bit. That's I, okay. I had, con- I had contacts with Bill Carruthers, who was his media director. And um, in fact, I was in the middle of a... When I accepted to work on the re-election, I was in the middle of a presentation to the Bank of America... Board up in San Francisco, and and it was being broadcast down to Southern California because Bank of America was one of the clients that I worked with. And this is just sort of a side issue, which was kind of funny that we were in this huge room meeting, and somebody and the secretary knocked on the two large doors at the end of the room, and the, uh, the the woman entered. The secretary went over and talked to the head of our office, named Bob Humphreys. And whispered in his ear, and then he, Humphrey said, uh, "By the way, Bob, the White House is on the phone." So I got up and left, with all eyes watching me as I went out and took the call, and it was really from Bill Carruthers, and it was. Because they said it was the White House, everybody was, you know, thinking, oh, my God. But he just simply said to me, hey, Bob, do you know any good cameramen? You know, we're trying to work on something like that. And I thought, oh, my God, that's not very important news. But (laughs) so when I went back into the room, of course, everybody's watching. And I didn't say anything about it because what I want to say, oh, my friend wants to know about, you know, using the White House is always something that gets everybody's ears. Sure. So, um about that time also uh I my partner Alan Sandler who's now retired out in Ashland Oregon uh he asked me to write a, a a drug program a drug film for the navy that they seemed to have to for the submarine guys to identify whether they had an alcohol pro- program problem or not so that was my first contact with anything that had to do with the military, at least at this this issue. And then we worked on a NASA space shuttle promo to justify the two cents it costs every citizen to run the shuttle. I don't remember if that ever went on the air or not. But anyway, then Alan said, uh, let's go out to Norton Air Force Base. There's something I think that we could probably develop a program that would put DOD in in a better light. Which, and I was all up for that, uh, so we went to Norton Air Force Base. We didn't sign in, which is what happened all the way through our what we were doing, and met with uh, the heads of DAVA, and I don't know if DAVA means anything, the Defense Audiovisual Agency. That's where all the film depository and the, the all films go through uh, Norton at that time. So we started shuffling through projects that seemed to be very interesting. The Navy... Uh, was had developed three dimensional moving holography. Uh, the army had a R and D in Maryland where a young a young guy a scientist was sitting at a computer. No, sitting. Quite fact. Across the room, and from a computer, thinking, and the computer would spell out the word that he was thinking. So I think that was probably something to do with you know, an additional aid to those pilots. You know, they have all kinds of things strapped to them—something on their shoulder that tells them about too left, too much right.
0: Bob, and this was what yeah. year? What year are we referring to here? This is all in
2: the 71, 72.
0: So that technology was there in 1971, 72.
2: Yeah, there were okay. many things that, and I was exposed to and. A lot of uh, laser work. In fact, maybe there isn't time to go into those, but they were interesting. I was wandering around Wright-Patterson, unguarded, wandered into a room where there was a huge jet engine, and some scientists, and they were developing 100,000 watts of electricity through the rear jet with a collector. And, you know, I asked, you know, what's this for? Uh... And I assumed that it was really for laser cannons. I was later found out that they had experimented with laser cannons, but the quote, what happened was they would burn a hole in the enemy airplane, but that would, it, would, it would not explode. So they put it aside and use that energy for something else. I think it was used on the, the B-2, as a matter of fact, and we won't go into that. So, uh we were exposed to all of these programs including a dog program which wouldn't be very much interest to you guys but they were training shepherds uh to um do reconnaissance work and guarding. And they had little receptors they put on their around their necks so that they could sneak into an enemy line and pick up information. I, it was all very interesting. Um, but were you in the military or related to the
0: military before this happened?
2: I was uh, at Air Force Reserve and activated for a very short time. As a matter of fact, I joined the Air Force Reserve along with my friend Bruce Herschensen, who became an aide to Nixon later. So I knew him all through this period. And um, I was stationed at Norton Air Force Base. There was no relationship between why we went out to Norton and the fact that I may have been stationed there because I wasn't even interested in, I didn't even think of UFOs at that time. Okay. So um, we were also involved with the dolphin research program, which is all Navy, where they were training dolphins to determine different metals. I hate to say why, but you know, that they would ask them the dolphin to go up and touch something that was made of iron and something that was made of, copper, whatever they... And they were tr- also training them to b- retrieve bombs. They had a little thing that they put on them to go down and snap on a bomb and pull it back up. I don't know if anybody knows about those things or even you may care not. I've, so. I've always, absolutely, we've heard about that.
0: That's very interesting.
2: I Later on, um, and I'll tell you about it later, uh, we did a um, some, how do you call it, some work for the Navy... Intelligence gathering by going out on a a dolphin hunt. Uh, they and we made a fake film. I'm jumping way ahead of the story, but and we ended up doing a fake film, if you call it, to watch the uh, this Russian defector, all the hand gestures he was doing and all. And then Alan, because of his connections in the Soviet Union, um, asked them to do a educational film on dolphins. Well, that was just a cover. So as soon as we saw those films, the Navy guys were happy to know whether this defector was telling the truth or not. This is a little bit aside from what we finally ended up doing, but I just wanted you to know that there were other avenues that we were exploring, including even uh, pulling up the Merrimack with the Navy just as an incident. But then... Alan and I were taken into a clean room out at Norton Air Force Base. I, mean, I don't know if you know what a clean room is. It's no bugging, no
0: bugs, no cameras.
2: No, right, and the the reason too is that particular studio was used by the CIA for training films, so it was you know pretty isolated. So we sat down with Paul Shardle, who was head of security out there. And he said, what would you think if we told you there was a landing at Holloman Air Force Base of an alien craft and and there's film of it? To tell you the truth, when I heard that, I just kind of thought, what? Would you say that again? Because I didn't think about UFOs one way or another. My wife, you know, always read the tabloids and you know what they're full of. Sure. I had an alien's baby and a <laughs> little green monster. And I used to laugh at her and say, oh, why do you read that crap? Then here it is, Move forward to about 1972 or whenever it was, and I'm hearing something that took me a while to to adjust to. So we said, well, Chartle said to us, well, you, you proceed with your project, the other projects, but if you're interested in the UFO uh story go talk to captain i don't remember who he was and he'll make a an agreement or a, arrangements with the pentagon so you can begin your 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 search but he did say bury it under all those other projects the ones i just mentioned to you earlier right. you know right. because that sends up a red flag to uh within the DOD so uh Off we went. We uh, arrived at the Pentagon. My wife used to say, the Bobsey twins go to the Pentagon, so that, you know, what the heck. She took it lightly. Uh, I remember we did not sign in. I think that's called plausible denial. I was
0: going to ask you, why is it that you didn't sign in any time you went to the Pentagon or to any military
2: officers? I, cannot t- I, I, I really can't answer that other than uh, we had kind of carte blanche. Turn, uh, later on, I'll tell you why people cooperated. It puzzled me a little bit. I thought it was great. You know, it's like here are t- two young men just waltzing into the Pentagon. <laughs> and we were waylaid by, uh, I guess it was the, the Pentagon press in a small, narrow room with No, there must have been three or four uh, guys in just dark suits. They weren't military. And one sitting behind a desk started saying to us, we're very concerned about you getting into this UFO business because what happens is if you start uncovering things, the the public begins to phone in to the Pentagon and that clogs up our lines. And, you know, the, the room is sort of like, had fluorescent lights, and I kind of under fluorescent lights, and this guy, you know, yelling. I began to think maybe I'm just going to die in this room or something. <laughs> it was, I mean, I really felt that way. Then Alan, who's much more savvy, said, "Look, you guys, look, we were invited here as the guests, as guests." And they said, "Well, yeah, that's all right, but just remember, don't talk too much about the UFO thing." Well, I don't think they even said that. It's just, okay, everything's fine. Next thing we found ourselves, there was somebody in between who was, if I can remember his name, and it may not be important. uh, He was um, a Pentagon press guy, I think, although we never dealt with him. We went right up to Colonel Coleman's office, who was Pentagon spokesman, Air Force and stood out in the hall while we introduced ourselves and met him. And he said to us, the same old riot act, uh, you know, if you come across something that would be dangerous to our national security, or if you saw things and talked about them that you weren't supposed to, he said, you know, you, you can be arrested and put in jail. and Right. and I, yeah, And the whole thing. Then we entered Coleman's office, sat down, and he began, he said, look, when, uh, years ago, when I was piloting a seven man crew over Alabama in a B 25, he was a very good pilot, by the way. He was no question about that. He said, I pursued a UFO, a disc over Alabama. And I could see, we could see the vortex of dust flying up on either side of it. And he said he put the B 25 up to 250 knots, which is not very fast by today's standards. Right. Or 350, and he said that I, he couldn't catch it. And it went up behind some trees, and he said that was the last we saw of it. He reported it. Uh, he reported what he saw in, to Project Blue Book, but it was never in any of the records. And the reason, probably, is here's Coleman, is the one had, who had to present the findings of Project Blue Book to the to press. the media, right? Yeah, to the media. So he knew, I mean, obviously he knew he had a first-hand experience. So that goes to show so that you did, that
0: Project Blue Book never released anything of significance.
2: Well, they had 1,200 cases, maybe 12,000. I don't know it was, it was a huge number that they investigated. But I, to say that they never released anything of any significance, I thought they did. You know, and At least that's what we concentrated on. Well, anyway, in Coleman's office, he finally said, I know someone that would be uh, of help to you. So he got on the phone and called George Weinbrenner. George Weinbrenner turns out to be the director of foreign technology, the spy center for the Airbus. I'm sure you've heard of foreign technology. Sure, Corso and, 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 yes. Yeah, Corso had a very distant relationship with him, frankly, I found. Anyway... So we went over to the bunker and Wright Patterson. As a matter of fact, how did I go from? Why wasn't Coleman?
0: Wasn't Coleman saying talking about MIGs, and showed you the yeah. book from no, Dale Allen Heinick?
2: Was that after? No, that no, that was that wasn't Coleman. That was uh, George Weinbrenner. Weinbrenner. Okay, sorry. So we started. We went down the hall, which is underground, with cameras everywhere, and I went up to uh, Weinbrenner's office, door, went in, and I walked right up to him, you know, sort of my legs right against his desk, and said, what about the landing of an alien craft at Holloman Air Force Base in the 70s that was filmed? And he, you know, he didn't change a beat. It was as if I said, nice weather we've got out here. (laughs) And then he said, well, you know, the Soviets know so much about us, because we're a very open society. He said, We have to go to the air shows and get information about that in that way. And he said, Well, the, the Israelis, though, did capture a MiG for us so we could back engineer that and find out what they're doing. And he drew, and he went to the blackboard and he drew a, a picture of a MiG 25 or 26, which I thought was kind of fascinating. And, but I, you know, I thought, why? He never answered my question. The next thing he started on was, you know, the Soviets are ahead of us in weather alteration. He said, and, uh, we need some, to do some catching up on that. And he said, for instance, I've got the best, some of the best scientists working on counter strategies. So I sat down and he plopped in my lap a book that he pulled off his shelf. And the book opening cover said to my good friend, uh, Dr. Alan Hynek, no, it was to my friend George Weinbrenner from Dr. Alan Hynek, and the book was all about UFOs, so without ever saying a word out loud, he knew what I was talking about, but anybody listening probably wouldn't know what's going on. It was sort of like a Kafka play, right? asking a question and getting this all these other answers that weren't even asked. Did you get but it? George? Did, did you know what he was attempting to do? Well, he was tempting. Uh, he wasn't tempting. It was more than that. He was telling us, "I understand what you're, do- what you're doing." Right. But did not say very much except he said, "Well, you know, they they say that we down in the basement here, in one special room, we have uh, three little green bodies, uh, you know, uh, that are frozen." And he kind of laughed about that, and I thought, hmm. I'm funny you would bring that up. Everybody wonders if you've got it down there. But he did it in such a way, it was like the best or offense or a defense is an offense. I didn't question him about that because I'd heard little stories like that. <clears throat> and then he said, told us that he said, I had a Mexican officer uh, working for me, and he used to tell all kinds of stories and. You know, you don't know what he's going to come up with. I think mean, he may even write a book. And I, he didn't say who it was, but the following day, Helen and I got a phone call from Hector Quintanella, Colonel Hector Quintanella, who was head of Project Blue Books during a certain period. And his line was, "Well, well, can I help you? What can we do? Well, it wasn't long after that, that we met Bob Friend, Colonel Friend, who was uh, head of Project Blue Book, definitely around the 60s. And and then Alan Hynek had heard about it and came in into the fold also. And Alan and I decided after, I'll go back to the studio, for instance. Before we began any of this, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, we already agreed to do a UFO thing, but back at the studio, um, I had we had people coming out of the woodwork, uh, you know, like Stanton Freeman. I'm sure everybody knows who he is, of course. And Stanton wanted to be involved, and we. I, I said this at a meeting at the X conference. I, I, I maybe I shouldn't, have, because I really find him a wonderful guy, just a neat guy. But he did write a little note saying, you know, I should be involved with the thing after all, I, Mr. Charisma of the UFO field or some world. And I thought that was such an odd comment to add, you know, blowing your own horn in such a funny way. Anyway, Stanton had a, do, a Russian document that we, um, we took from him to send back to Wright-Patterson so they could translate it. It was all in Russian. And we agreed with Stanton that we would give him a copy of the translation. So a courier, I don't know if they hand-carried it or said it, went back there, and after a few days, uh, the translated version came back, and we gave a copy to Stanton. And he seemed happy about it. But Alan and I both were new to what the UFO field is like. And we met a few people who... Told us such stories, you know, that finally we decided that we would not use anyone who wasn't associated with DOD. So we stuck to Air Force Blue Book guys, uh, Pentagon spokesman Al Chop. I I don't know if you know who know Al Chop is. No. He he was a spokesman for for NASA, but he was the one who was handling in 1952 when there was a flight over Washington DC and president truman said what the hell is going on he was the the man the media guy who handled that uh, and he we we took that case which i thought was very interesting and he uh handled it from a video you know visual point of view how the things flew over and he said and we showed the radar screen in which he said you could see them appear on the radar screen. In other words, we showed this. It isn't him just telling a story to us. He sort of demonstrated it. And that um, the the they decided to send up some interceptors. And he said, and by the way, he said these things were going 7,000 miles an hour across the screen. That's pretty fast. Wow. <laughs> At that time, that was fast. Even and, today, uh, it's fast. Yeah, it is. So, so they were tracking them. So, two, two—I don't know the F eighty fours. I'm not sure which plane it was at the moment. I remember he he launched two of them to uh, intercept them. So the guys are flying around, and he said on the radar you could see our planes taking off, and as soon as they were airborne, the the foreign traffic all seven just went and disappeared from the radar scope. And he said, he watched the guys call down and said, look, we don't see anything up here. We're coming back to base because we're not finding anything. So as soon as they landed, all the traffic appeared on the scope again. And there they were. It happened two nights in a row. And that's when Truman said, what the hell is going on over the White House? They're intruding on Sacred airspace. In 1952. Yeah, and see, the the reason we included it, we decided let's not talk about the thousands of cases you solved because wouldn't you do that too? It's like, well, that's all very interesting, but let's uh, talk about the ones that were unresolved. So that's what we stuck to.
0: And Bob, let's not forget that recently the classified document from the Department of Defense and the, the Ministry of Defense in in the UK state that since the fifties, the United States, I believe, also had orders to shoot down UFOs. So I presume those jets that were scrambled had intentions of shooting
2: down. Am I right? I never heard that. I, I've uh, I mean people can have made up all kinds of stories, but uh, I think they have attempted to. I don't know if they were ordered to. Yeah, maybe certainly before that period, because never did I hear them mention that we had fired on. Any alien crafts, so take it for whatever it's worth i'm I'm familiar with you know all of these recent reports that people are have come out with, but I didn't run into that at all. There were more interesting and more bizarre things than that as a matter of fact, I may be going too far back for you. One of the early people I met was Dan McGovern who was on Project Twinkle. He was head of that that was in nineteen 19- it was in the 40s in which they saw these balls or, or lights coming up out of the sky, making a right turn, and then dashing off. And it was a top-secret project to photograph them. And he said he spent two years with the expensive German cameras and fast 3,000 USA, ASA a film that was developed by Kodak to try and catch them. He said after 2 years they never they could see them but they never could capture them on film. I mean that's past history but and we never included Dan McGovern or Project Twinkle in our story but it was sort of an interesting thing anyway. So let's see back to wherever we were. Well, holler right there. We have
0: to take a break and I just laughed when I heard Project Twinkle and the light orbs. This remind, reminds me of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star very appropriate project name let's take a quick break we're here with Bob Ammenegger we'll be right back don't go anywhere great music you hear right here on The Veritas Show is supplied by the independent artists from GarageBand.com. If you hear a song you like, go over to our homepage, VeritasShow.com, click on Show Info and Music. Look up the song and download it. You can even buy the group CDs, in many cases, right there at GarageBand.com. Back to The Veritas Show. This is Mel Fabregas, and I'm here with Bob Amenerger talking about the UFO landing at Holloman Air Force Base. Bob, mm, please nice. proceed.
2: Well, uh, we began our our project, as I said. We went back to uh, Alan's studio. At that time, we later on, we jointly owned a television studio or film studio. But back then, we were at his offices because I was still with Gray Advertising, just taking time off for this project. And sort of an interesting thing, uh, down from Stanford Research, Hal Putoff came down, and Targ, do you know who these two people are? Russell
0: Targ and uh, Hal Putoff. sure.
2: Yeah. And they were really curious, they had learned through Jacques Vallée that we were doing this project. And I got to know them at that time, and as a matter of fact, I still talk to Put-Off often. And he's always wanting to know when they're going to tell us about the landing at Holloman. And, uh, like everybody asks. Sure. And, and then I, this is a side issue, but I sort of lost contact with Put-Off for 10 years at, although we'd talked an awful lot before that. And then we got back together 10 years later, which I mean was in the eighties. And, uh, He told me that he was asked not to really communicate with too many people because he had, as you know, headed the remote viewing for the CIA. Or did you know that?
0: I did not know that, no.
2: Yeah, so that was his assignment. He spent several years getting the best uh, sensitives and under the uh, patronage of the CIA to... Remote view, and some of the some of them are pretty remarkable. What he came up, I have some declassified examples now, but they were spying on the Soviets at that time. There was only the Soviets that anybody cared about, one way or another. And one of them, I think his name is Pat Price, was tuned in on a Soviet R and D base somewhere in the Soviet Union, and drew a picture of the the buildings and all. But also, he added at the bottom. He he saw a large crane on uh, tracks. So when it when that came back, Putoff said that you know they said wait a minute you know we know what this looks like from but I there are no there's no big crane out in front with the tracks. But to make sure, they sent up the spy satellite, and there it was sitting exactly where this Pat Price had visualized it. So that that always gave the the program a little boost there are a lot of things that are would be fun to talk about but uh, on issues like that but that isn't why we're, we're talking about UFOs right now so <clears throat> someday we'll jump back to the other subjects so
0: they, they were the jets were scrambled they came back the objects disappear when they were scrambled when they uh, took off then when they landed they reappeared does that mean they Left at a high speed, or they just uh, disappear to another dimension. Into another di-
2: I think, uh, I think, as uh, Jacques Vallee, which I got to know pretty well, he believes, and I and seems to confirm it, that they seem to disappear into another dimension. Exactly. And I don't mean woo woo woo, but I mean the next one up, maybe four. And uh, Heineck talked about when things were pulled out like that that you could almost hear molecules clapping together where they pulled out of our uh, atmosphere.
0: They vibrate at a different frequency and that's how they disappear.
2: Yeah. And it's like, uh, I, there's a lot of things that were demonstrated even with put off in China that we have a few, very few people who are sensitive enough to almost break the, the barrier of matter, uh, dematerializing and re re, uh, materializing objects from one room to another but that's not what we're here to talk about anyway back to uh, Chop and Heineck and Friend I suppose one of the I thought the the landing in Socorro, New Mexico was quite stunning I'm sure everybody knows about it but maybe they don't maybe they don't, so do you want to talk about that? well in the 60s Lani Zamora, who is a sheriff down in Socorro, New Mexico, was on his usual route. And they were driving around. And he saw a car that looked like it was speeding. So he followed it up a gravel road, up a hill, and stopped and didn't know where it went. But he looked down, not far from him. I'd say, what, 500 feet? I'm yeah. guessing. And he saw a, it looked like a craft, a disc, sitting there. And he noticed that two pair of legs came down from in, under it or inside of it. And at the time, they either sensed him, and I mean, he freaked out. He called in, which we had in our film. Headquarters said, I'm, I'm checking on an overturned car, and I'll be out of my vehicle. And all of a sudden, he screamed back to the microphone and said, and watched as that Craft lifted up with a roar, um, flames under it. Lifted up about twenty feet, he said. Then becomes became silent, and went screaming off to the uh, the west or whatever direction. Is there a recording of that conversation, Bob? Well, I, I re you know it it was not re it wasn't recorded, but I re re it. it. Right. With Lonnie at that very spot, the Air Force and the Army was there very quickly and the Air Force, and they gathered up whatever evidence they could find. And there was, um, it looked like they wanted to know what kind of propellant was used. So they analyzed and said, it's not propellant. It's more like fission or fusion. He said rocks were, there was, uh, you could see smoldering, but there wasn't any fire and the rocks were either hard or hardened and they measured the distance between the uh, pod marks and they even measured the depth of the footprints and estimated things like how much the craft weighed and that the beings were by our standards maybe 140 pounds or you know that and they were oval shaped not like our little footprints so it went it went down in the history, in the books of saying you know, unidentified. Then there was even an emblem on the side of the craft which Lanny drew it and it was a triangle pointing up. And he was, you know, he was obviously scared to death and I don't, I maybe he's talked about it since or before, but at least we were able to get it down in the film. And Then some of the other ones that are more interesting, maybe. Uh, Bob Friend was I really love the guy. He's still alive and he lives out in the West Coast, still involved in missiles, which was his background. A lot of people say, oh, the you know, those Air Force Blue Book guys, they were just, uh, you know, hired hands. They didn't know what they were doing. Well, it turns out that Friend was a acknowledged physicist who had worked with OSI, had a, you know, a brilliant man, so people are always trying to knock that the Blue Book people didn't know what they were doing. Or, it's absolutely not true. Anyway, Friend had an incident that he told us about that I thought was fascinating. <clears throat> Apparently, the head of the CIA back in the 60s, I don't know, would be Lundahl? No, no. Who would that have been? His name, I should, you know, I'm not a UFO speaker type of thing. I, I right? understand. Um, anyway, so he was curious about a woman who lived in Upper Maine who, her name, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter who it is. Um, she was, Swan was her name. It's not the same Swan that worked for the remote viewing. It's a woman named Swan. It's, it's not Ingo Swan. No, Ingo, no, this was a woman. I don't know what her right. first name was, last name is Swan. And so uh, he sent, the CIA Navy guy, sent two of his commanders up to in- interrogate her because he was curious. I mean, listen, <laughs> believe me, every branch of the government, whether they say so or not, are very interested in all of this. Uh, she uh, She sat down and they asked him, asked her questions that they said were beyond her knowledge to be able to answer and she quote said with seeming telepathic help from some alien or or craft or whatever it was answered the questions and they were very impressed then swan turned to one of the navy guys i think it was his name was uh, larson and said that they are willing to answer questions through you and it's sort of like me well, I wasn't present to know how it went, but she told him to relax, to open his mind. And his partner, the other Navy guy, was intrigued with all of this, began to ask him questions. And he seemed to be communicating with this other dimension or this alien or whatever it was. Well, uh, that word went back to Washington.
0: You know what kind of questions they were talking about? Yeah, I
2: know I know the questions that were finally asked. Uh, so there was a meeting in a building which is in Washington, D.C., which Bob Friend took us to to tell us the Air Force's involvement. The building is was used by Naval Intelligence Photographic. The bottom floors were just a parking lot. But as you went up to about the fourth floor or so, the Navy was doing intelligence work there. So, Bob Friend walks through the empty building and tells us that he had heard that there was a EU, some sort of an organization of alien of other planets who were interested in Earth, and that was their present project. With all that, remember, Bob Friend is no does not make things up. If you knew who he was, he was head of project. Blubgook toward the last. Sure. Um, we went into a room that I could see. It was a corner room. And uh, there were present were uh, Art Lundahl, CIA. I tried to get him to be on camera. And he said, you don't understand. He said, I'm still on duty. And that, that would be embarrassing, and we just don't do it. So I had Bob Friend tell the story. Um, there was two the two Navy commanders, a couple Air Force Uh, Art Lundahl from the CIA and they asked I think his name was Larkin if he would go into a trance and communicate with whoever these beings are so he went into a a trance the way they described it is Adam's apple began moving up and down like that bouncing up and down and the others in the room asked him to ask questions I mean, the questions to me sounded as dumb as you can get. Uh, do you favor any nation? The answer was no. It's a good question. Do you, do you favor any religious group like Muslims or Christians? They or said no. Will there be a third world war? They said no. And they said, can, they said, can we see your craft? And the answer was yes. Go to the far window and you, you will get your answer. So apparently everybody got up, and, and you know, I remember I'm telling this through Bob friend, and we went to a window that faced the White House because you could see it out, outside. He said they all looked, went to the window and saw this craft or whatever it was, and the Navy guys called for radar confirmation. <sighs> sounds like I'm kidding, but the The word came back that that quadrant of the sky was blanked out on radar at the time. So it must have been huge. Well, I, well I, I don't know about its size, but the fact that if they can control our radar and be not even working, the radar not even working at that time, that means they have some ability beyond us. So that was a friend went to his general and said, look, I'd really like to follow up on this. And he was told... No, don't bother. Uh, We'll handle it from here on out. So Friend was never able to figure out any conclusion to it. But that had never been told publicly, the one other thing I'm just telling you now. It was the first time they, they allowed us to tell it. And I use that as an example of if the Air Force and the Navy and the CIA is all trying to cover up something, like we don't want people to talk about it. Don't you think that would be rather an embarrassing thing to put out there for the public, admitting that they went as far as trying to communicate with these aliens? I thought so. I thought that was a good example of their openness, like a lot of the things that they talked about. Absolutely. And we talk on this
0: show a lot about the possibility of this closure, which I seem to be more pessimistic about, just because I don't think anybody who's in control would like to relinquish control. But not only I'll that, I you, think the only way to do this is by giving immunity to those people who have been involved so far.
2: I know how exo-politicians really feel. And uh, when I spoke back at that conference, I felt I was the Lone Ranger because I, I believed that you're not going to get the Senate or Congress or anyone to acknowledge it or even investigate it. Because this was done during um, Ford's time uh there was an incident in his area of, of which a craft landed, well, very well described, and he demanded an uh, a, an investigation. And he, Quintanella and, and uh, Heineck presented all the evidence to them. They were satisfied with whatever the answer was, and it was over. Nobody, you know, no one picked up the string and said, wait a minute, we better look into this. I don't believe that you're ever going to get Congress, as much as you, the exo-politicians believe or hope, will ever do anything. And why don't, and the business about presidents, don't they know? I, I have a feeling a lot of them have been excluded from any information, but they know the information I'm telling you right now. So, I would think that they would be very interested in following up, but, as a matter of fact, I don't know if Grant told you on the sixth is it is I don't know what the day the sixth is on Monday, I put a question to Bush, senior, who's going to be here. I had to write it down. you know, they don't like things as surprise questions, but I asked him, I said, with your association, past association with the c i a And it is surmised that you, of all the recent presidents, that you would be the most informed on the subject. And the question is, what do you say to that? So I'm anxious to find out if something might might happen along those lines.
0: Wasn't he the one who told Carter,
2: sorry, you don't have the need to know, when he was
0: director of the CIA, secretary of the CIA? It probably
2: was. I, I have not yet any presidents. I haven't met any of them. The only one I knew was Nixon or worked with. That knew anything, you know. They were, and the point I got from the military was, they don't have a need to know. They're going to be four-year guys, maybe eight, except for someone like Bush, the senior. That there is no reason for them to know. They said. Now, th- does that mean that they know something they don't want to tell the president? I don't know. I'm just telling you, you know, from my point of view. <clears throat> and now, let me. I can go on with some of the other. Incidents. By the way, are you going to take a short break? You, will you I'll let you know. I'll
0: let, we did take a, a break 17 minutes ago, and I'll alert you when another break comes in. But okay. let's go back to uh, Holloman. Uh, let's go back uh, to when you were contacted and you were with Weinbrenner. Take us from
2: there. Well, uh, Weinbrenner would not even acknowledge anything I was saying. But with a wink, he seemed to know what I was talking about. That's what I found out about guys like him who are, you know, the, they work with the spooks. They're they're very much in bed with the CIA. So what you're
0: telling us, Bob, I don't mean to interrupt you, but his office was obviously bugged. And that's why he was referring to MIGS. That's why he opened the book that uh, Dr. Hynek dedicated to him without saying anything. So he was let's pretend he was just giving you some hand gestures about what you were referring to but he was talking about migs so that if anybody's listening they'll know or they will think that he's not talking about what you were interested
2: in am i right well i it was it was very puzzling i often refer to it as being like in a kafka play right. i ask one question and gets off onto another subject which i didn't even ask about and i thought all this interesting information i thought it was very interesting but i can't i i don't assume he, that He was bugged, but yet he is in the intelligence business, Air Force. They're the spy center of the Air Force, probably of everything else, too. So maybe they monitor what he's saying on the phone or in the room. I I don't know. He never said anything. But it it led me to believe that uh, he wouldn't have told me about his Mexican officer or a few other things or show me that he knew Heineck and had... Worked with him, unless he wanted us to know, kind of like with a wink. Right. I know what you're talking about. As a matter of fact, Colonel Coleman, at the beginning, said he can he can be more of help to you than anyone else when he made the phone call. When Coleman called Weinbrenner, so back to I don't know where we were. Uh, you were the at Weinbrenner's Hall, office. Well. But let's move forward to wh- why I, <clears throat> I asked about Holloman, right. how it came about. Shardle knew a guy that was from foreign technology who was stationed at Holloman, who apprised him either through email or letters or phone calls that the landing had taken place. I mean, I wouldn't have known that. And it was described to him. It's somewhere in the records, but he—he he was told. I was told that the la- the craft landed. It was wobbled down. That the commander of the base went out with other, the, with the uh, fire department and a couple others to meet this craft, which opened the door. It's uh, it dropped down and a couple. I guess, people, or whatever they were, and But just be, be,
0: before we before that group went to meet them, did we take any hostile posture or any defensive posture about a foreign craft no, no, landing? No, no, no.
2: Uh, the thing that I can't figure out is when they saw this craft coming down, I think they continue in, a, in our own way warning them, warning them, and somehow they saw what the shapes of these crafts were and uh, allowed... There were three. I was told the uh, two two of them did not land. One of them did land, and that's it. Was either in trouble or came down. And why? How we'd acknowledge them? I have no idea. That was never clear to me. But I went to find out later. So I'll go ahead with what I was told. Okay. okay. <clears throat> they said that uh, this Alfonso Lorenzo was assigned to them from foreign technology to take care of their needs, whatever the needs are. One of them was holding sort of a translator in his hand which looked like a caduceus. One
0: of the extraterrestrials.
2: Yeah, yes. And they, we asked them if they would help us identify a radio signal which I guess they played it for them or or turned them into it, turned them to it. And they said, we don't know who it is. It, It isn't ours as far as i know that was just one of the few comments that were made then i then i was told they stayed for a short time in uh, the, the barrack which is not there anymore and by the way the base was closed down for this incident
0: sounds People like never... uh, the the uh, the eisenhower event where they closed allegedly closed the air force base
2: for a few yeah, days uh, yeah that's that's what happened and then the craft was taken down to the end of Mars Avenue. I was told, you know, all these little bits of details. So let's go back to Alan and I saying we had. By the way, now we have a new contact. He is a major Leo Varana from the Navy. He was a Navy major. So all the branches were involved. By the way, we'd get passed around. And he was our contact, and he told <clears> – <throat> we told him we wanted to go down and film in Holloman. Hollerman. And he um, – Alan is very impatient about everything. He got the commander of, uh, of Holloman on the phone and said, you know, we're doing a project, and we'd like to come down and film at your base if you could do that. And he said, you want to do what? <laughs> and he said – so he said, you know, like, forget it. So Alan called Leo Verona, and he explained what happened. He said, oh, well, look, give me 10 minutes, and then call him back. We waited, and finally Alan called back, and the guy said, oh, well, come on down. <laughs> Change the tune. Oh, boy, yeah. Let's. What I found is that everyone was cooperating with us. I mean, uh, here I am new to the UFO field, so as a matter of fact, I asked I'm jumping around just before we go, I go down to Holloman, but I asked uh, Bill Coleman, Colonel Coleman maybe six months ago I asked him, because I still talk to those guys, I said, why did you why were you talking to us? He says, because the Secretary of the Air Force said to do it. So that was kind of well, maybe that's why they talk to us. Including every time we'd meet with a researcher, he was said, told to cooperate with us and talk, which is, you know, it's certainly a pleasurable thing to have happen to you. Bob, before we proceed
0: with this, and uh, we have to take another break, but can you please describe what Mr. Shardle saw when the craft landed and the three being, the beings emerged, and I presume there was footage taken from this
2: meeting, right? Yes, there was three cameras. Uh, there was a ca- ground camera. There was one uh, in, in a helicopter. And uh, I guess there must have been a ground one, a handheld. I'm not sure what it was because I didn't know. So you believe that the beings were filmed? Yes, I do. Can, I you, mean, des-
1: can
0: you describe I believe them? it. Pardon? Can you describe the beings according to what Mr. Shirtle said?
2: Well, this is through a translator. I mean... The thing is that I had an artist that I've always worked with who does storyboards draw the interpretation that, that Chardle said and what I believed. And I'd, I'm sorry that in the book they look more like uh, comic book drawings to me, but he, he had no knowledge and we didn't oversee him. This is for the book. Sure. Said they were about a little less than five feet high. They had sort of a rope-like design around their head with, Wide apart eyes and practically no nose and mouth. No, no, they had a large nose. Large nose, right? They look. They look like people from Babylonia, mm-hmm. but yet Allen or Heinic, not Hynek, uh Chartle saw them later, and I'll tell you why he had to because uh, one of the one of the senators, Dodd, heard us talking about on a program later dodd christopher dodd yes heard that one of his constituents called him and said i want to know about this under the freedom of information i want to see that film i want to blah 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 so dodd called out to the west coast to the and that oh not not not, sorry to norton and uh it was a new crew and they had no idea what we're talking about but Shardle but then decided to look at the film again, and he said that he felt, instead of it being a large nose like a Sumerian, it looked like something that was over their nose, like maybe, for who knows, breathing or whatever. Bob, we have to take a quick break, and we'll
0: be right back. We're talking about the description that Mr. Shardle had given Bob Eminegger about the extraterrestrials. And this does not end here, folks. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritashow.com, click on subscribe, and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.